Welcome to the Natural Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and this is number 381 from our Smithsonian Associate Series. As part of our Smithsonian Associates author interview series, our guest today on the Not Old Better Show is author Garrett Peck. Garrett Peck has written a new book about the League of Nations entitled The Great War in America, World War I and Its Aftermath, and will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates program for his presentation Monday, September 23, 2019 at the Ripley Center in Washington, D.C. Our guest today, historian and author Garrett Peck, tells how the League of Nations came to be, its successes and failures over its 26 years of existence and its demise and resurrection through the United Nations after World War II. Garrett Peck chronicles the forces that led to the creation of the League and the partisan process within the United States that rejected the peace treaty that ended World War I, returned the country to isolationism, and left a scar on all who suffered all who died, and all for so little achievement. War leaves a scar on a nation's psyche, one that never fully heals. I've been to Ypres in Belgium and witnessed the the nightly last post ceremony at Menin Gate commemorating the loss of so many people who fought for the British Empire in the Great War. It is a moving ceremony, and the British expressed genuine mourning for so many who died for so little. I've walked the battlefield at Verdun and seen the Hall of the Dead an enormous ossuary holding the remains of 130,000 people, their bleached bones intermixed from many nationalities. Arlington, Virginia is my home, and every Memorial Day it witnesses tens of thousands of Vietnam War veterans who descend on the nation's capital in the motorcycle cavalcade known as Rolling Thunder. The veterans seek an answer to unanswerable questions. What good is war, and is the sacrifice ever worth it? To which I might add, with the great war in mind, can war solve the world's problems? Can war bring peace? Or does war just create new grievances and new conflicts? The Second World War proved the bloody sequel to the first, refighting unresolved issues and injuries to national pride. That, of course, is our guest today, author Garrett Peck, reading from his new book, The Great War in America, World War I and Its Aftermath. And Garrett Peck will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates for his presentation Monday, September 23, 2019, at the Ripley Center in Washington, D.C. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Garrett Peck. Garrett Peck, welcome to the program. Thank you, Paul. It's really great to be here. It's great to talk to you, too. Listen, I always like to start by asking people where they are in the world. (laughs) So let me ask you, just right off the bat, where are you this morning? Well, actually, I live in Arlington, Virginia, but at this moment, Mm -hmm. I'm up in Lake Tahoe, California. Uh, I've been out here for the last week scouting out a Smithsonian tour, a week-long tour I want to create for 2020 called the California Gold Rush. Uh, I've been going, uh, starting in Sacramento, kind of made my way up through the gold country and... uh, Ended up here in Lake Tahoe to see where the Donner Party was and the Transcontinental Railroad. And it's, it's just it's breathtaking scenery and just amazing history. Gosh, I am 
envious as a as a former Californian. I I, I love that Tahoe area, <laughs> and I'll just I'll I'll put in a plug right now. As you get that uh, developed, we'd love to have you back and talk about that. I think that sounds like a, a wonderful tour, also. And you're 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 a busy person, so I, I want to kind of jump right into your Smithsonian, your upcoming Smithsonian presentation. I wonder if you'd tell us briefly about that. Sure, um, I'm I'm really pleased. I'm going to be speaking on September 23rd at the Dylan Ripley Center in a program called The League of Nations, The Quest for World Peace Between the Wars. If you look at your calendar right now, we are at the centennial of President Woodrow Wilson's barnstorming campaign. That is where he jumped on a train and went all around the country and delivered dozens of speeches to try to get the Senate to ratify the Treaty of Versailles. And that treaty included the League of Nations covenant baked right into it, thanks to Wilson. <laughs> We often forget about the League of Nations. It, it was really President Wilson's brainchild. But amazingly, the U.S. never joined the organization. The League itself lasted for 26 years, and it was the precursor to the United Nations. It had a number of like, really remarkable successes, but ultimately it failed to, uh, to counteract uh, fascism or confront fascism in the 1930s, and the organization was really discredited. So uh, you many people called the League a debating society with no teeth. Hmm. I just think this is going to be a, a fascinating presentation. And, um, and, and as I say, I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. So, you know, we often think of World War II as being kind of the big war, quote unquote, in terms of death and destruction. It certainly was that. But World War One for many of these reasons that, that you cite, but World War I was more important. So maybe give us a little bit more detail as to why that is. Yeah, it, World War II certainly gets all the attention, especially like if you watch the, the History Channel, it's, just, <laughs> it's all World War II programming. And yet World War I really was more important. Uh, World War II is the bloody sequel, ultimately. But uh, World War I, in essence, it's this clash of empires at the very end of the Victorian age, and it ushers in the modern age as, as we know it. So in, in this war, you see four global empires fall, uh, and those are, by the way, the Austro-Hungarian, the German, the Ottoman, and the Russian Empire. All those fall. Uh, you see communism unleashed on the world. We have, our, by the way, our very first Red Scare, not in 1947, but rather in 1919 here in the United States. And, and lastly, the, the modern map of the Middle East was drawn and by the English and the French to lasting resentment by the Arabic world, even to this day, against the West. So it's, it's, it's a hugely, hugely important uh, event. Um, I think why most Americans tend to focus on World War II was we did not like the outcome from World War I. Um, we ended up in this huge partisan squabble over the peace treaty, and most Americans within a couple, couple of years thought it was a mistake for us even to get involved in the war. And ultimately, I think World War II should not have happened had the peace treaty been fair, especially towards Germany, but it really wasn't. And thus you have all these unresolved issues and national pride injured and, and whatnot, and that leads to the war being fought again one generation later. Only this time the bad guys were really, really bad. You know, the fascists and the Nazis, and they were bent on global domination and genocide. And following uh, World War One, the, the Great War, you know, you kind of refer to this idea that the West was looked at differently. And, and, and I think in my research of you, you, you allude to the fact that even we looked at ourselves differently. Maybe we were disillusioned with the efforts and achievements up to that period with regard to the war. So briefly tell us what happened, but more importantly, how did we as a country yeah. move forward? World War One is so interesting because it's the, the most idealistic war the, the U.S. ever gets involved in. I mean, it's just incredible, the, the idealism that we're going to go save the world from itself. 
and then we're going to end militarism. And of course, whenever you have this kind of idealism, eventually it's going to get shattered because, you know, <laughs> you're eventually you're going to get disillusioned. And fairly quickly, once the war ended, we, we returned to our normal state of being, which is partisan bickering. And uh, <laughs> so President Wilson goes off to Paris very controversially, believing he has to personally to go and negotiate the Treaty of Versailles. And he, to, to force all the nations to join his precious League of Nations, he, he writes the covenant of the League of Nations into the, into the Treaty of Versailles. And he's a, a tremendous visionary. He envisions the world at peace, and he believes if we can create an organization to mitigate conflicts before they break out into war, we can thus hopefully eliminate war. And so it's, it's, it's really a, a first time of really seeing collective security in action rather than the, the standard balance of power between nation states. Unfortunately, of course, the U.S. Senate re refused to ratify the peace treaty without accepting certain, quote, reservations or amendments to it. And that's when Wilson Balk, and he went out on this nationwide barnstorming campaign that ultimately just wrecked his health. You know, he suffered, suffered this major stroke in October 1919, and that effectively ended his presidency. Um, the, what happens afterwards, of course, is that the U.S. never ratifies the Treaty of Versailles, and therefore we never join the League of Nations. And because of all the partisan bickering and whatnot, we end up retreating into isolationism. And you, you see how this... Uh, how this um, how this influences American affairs, world affairs in the 1930s and even the early 1940s because we refuse to get involved. You know, we see all this terrible stuff happening around us with the rise of fascism and we're just like, no, 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 we're not going to get involved. And it's only until we're attacked at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. That, that, that's what finally breaks us out of our isolationism. We are with Garrett Beck author of the new book, The Great War in America, World War I and its Aftermath. Of course, Garrett Peck will be at the Smithsonian Associates Program for his presentation on Monday, September 23rd, 2019 at the Ripley Center in Washington, D.C. Garrett Peck, you mentioned, of course, President Wilson, who led uh, the peace process following World War I um, and brought about the League of Nations, the agreements, the uh, covenants, the Treaty of Versailles. Uh, the United Nations ultimately replaced the League of Nations. And I wonder if it ever did, I'm referring to the League of Nations, I wonder if the League of Nations ever did the job that Wilson planned for it. Yeah. Uh, I think you know, Wilson was severely disappointed by the fact, and even to, even probably chronically depressed by the fact we never joined the League. But this was his life's work. And then to see the U.S. Senate turn it down. At the same time, he also refused to compromise over us over the reservations that the Senate had to impose upon the treaty. So this is partly his own fault for not compromising with the, with the Senate. So, um, but that said, okay, the, the league, uh, it was a great idea. It really was, although it did have some noticeable weaknesses, which was why we ended up kind of scrapping the league and starting over with, and I'll talk about that there in just, just a second. Uh, but the, the primary weakness was that the executive council required unanimity in every single decision and what that meant was that every member of the council held, held a veto power. So it only took one country within the, the league council to prevent the league from taking any action at all. <laughs> so, for example, uh, the whole collective security idea broke down in 1931 when Japan, which was a member of the executive council, seized Manchuria, the industrial part of northeast China, and the League of Nations could do nothing to stop it. And of course, that began to undermine the League's credibility ultimately. 
And when nations then denounced what the fascist countries were doing, they simply just left the league. So Japan and Germany quit in 1933, and then Italy quit in 1937. Uh, Russia quit, sorry, the Soviet Union quit, I believe, at the uh, very end of 1939 or 1940. You know, people just started dropping out of the league and so on. So President Franklin Roosevelt, who was there at the beginning of the league, he was the undersecretary of the Navy during World War I, and he recognized what these weaknesses were of the league. And so realizing that the, the league was discredited, so therefore rather than try to fix it, he decided, you know what, let's start over. Let's take the best pieces of the league and build a new organization. And that became the United Nations. And he got the ball rolling at the end of World War II. And uh, he did a, a much, much better job of selling it to the country. And for example, uh, in, in, when the U.S. Senate finally voted to ratify the U.N. Charter in July 1945, the vote was 89 to 2. But he did a huge effort, you know, starting really in 1944 to get the American people uh, behind this idea of the United Nations at the United, and that the United States had to lead this thing. Um, when, of course, one of the key changes that he, he baked into place was that only Security Council permanent members would hold a veto. And, of course, those were the five powers who won World War II. Gary Peck, your excellent new book, The Great War in America, World War I and Its Aftermath, is receiving rave reviews. I, I looked online, and really, it's, it's uh, getting some, some excellent, excellent reviews. So congratulations, and we appreciate you uh, reading a selection from it. What's one of the details from this period uh, that takes place in, during the book that might surprise us today? You kind of referred to isolationism. Is that, is that coming back? Are, we, are there other things that, that uh, might really surprise us from this time? Yeah. Certainly the, the question over America's role in, in the world, that, that's like a pendulum that swings back and forth. And mm-hmm. uh, Woodrow Wilson came up with the idea. He, he quoted this in a, in a speech, I think, just two weeks before the Lusitania was sunk in 1915, where he first used the term America first. And mm-hmm. uh, you've, you've, of course, heard that term today as well <laughs> in our mm-hmm. current political environment, mm-hmm. where it means mm-hmm. something completely different. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what Wilson meant was we have to put our country first so we can stay neutral. Therefore, we can offer arbitration to the warring powers in and Europe to, to, to mitigate this conflict that's, that's, that's going on. Today, of course, America first sounds more like America alone in, in the world. Um, so that's one of those little things that sort of translates even to this day. Um, I think for most people, though, the big, probably the biggest surprise that comes out of the war is how quickly the United States rallied around the cause uh, once we declared war against Germany on April 6, 1917. Uh, we were only in the war for 19 months, and we were only in combat for about five of those months. And we had to create an army almost from scratch, which was pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. And, and given these challenges, we still sent two million soldiers to fight in the trenches in France. I mean, that's, that's jaw-dropping. We had, we had never done such, thing, such a thing before. And no one expected the U.S. to send a couple million soldiers to fight. I mean, it was just unreal, given we had no, virtually no army beforehand. So, and it was the fact that this, you know, virtually untrained army beat the German army, and that's what earned us a spot at the peace table. That's what's, I think, such an astonishing accomplishment, how, how quickly we, we rallied, sent our, our boys over to France, and defeated the German army. It's just remarkable. It is. It's fascinating, and and I think this is just going to be a wonderful presentation. I just have one final question for you, Kirpek. I know you're very busy. You're out there in California, but tell us what are you writing next? Well, actually, I just finished up a book uh, just a couple of weeks ago and got that, got that into the publisher, 
And it's a book called The Lost Decade, America and the New Millennium, which should be out in the spring of 2020. And uh, it's history that we all live through. So basically, The Lost Decade refers to the first decade of the 21st century. So I, I basically define that as a book ended by two big financial crises, uh, the dot-com meltdown in 2000 and then the Great Recession, which got started in 2008. And then, of course, everything in between. You know, So you got W and Katrina, the Iraq War, 9-11, the housing bubble, I mean, all these things that, that happened during this time that we all lived through. And, uh, and of course, it leads to, we're, I mean, we're still dealing, especially with the consequences of the Great Recession, even to this day. So it kind of helps define, I think, you know, where we are as, as a people. Um, the, the, the populism that we're seeing kind of running amok on the left and the right, I think, really got started here as an outcome because of the Great Recession. So I was kind of framing that up here for, you know, we're still dealing with, dealing with the consequences even a decade later. I'll have that out. And Tell us again the title. It's called The Lost Decade, America and the New Millennium. Mm-hmm. Excellent. You're doing some really interesting work, Garrick Beck. We'd love to have you come back and talk about um, the Donner Party and your work uh, in scouting this location in California, as well as your next book. But thank you so much for your generous time today, your, all your hard work in, in memorializing these stories and, and this, this important part of history. So we're looking forward to seeing you coming up on Monday, September 23rd at the Ripley Center. But Garrick Peck, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. My thanks to Garrett Peck, author of the new book, The Great War in America, World War I and its Aftermath, and will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates for his presentation Monday, September 23, 2019 at the Ripley Center in Washington, D.C. For tickets and more information, please check our website for a direct link to Smithsonian Associates. Thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show, and thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, Let's talk about better, the Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.